Hi, I'm Samuel. And I'm Bentley. And this is the Re-View Podcast. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Wonder Woman! All the world is waiting for you and the power you possess. In your satin tights, fighting for your rights, and the old red, white, and blue. Oh, man. In case you guys couldn't tell, we just saw Wonder Woman yesterday and we are jazzed. Wait a minute. I'm confused about what exactly she was fighting for in the 70s. Fighting for her rights. In, in her, her satin, satin tights. tights and, and the old red, white, and blue. As if somehow you could separate the old red, white, and blue from the tights she's wearing. Which is <laughs> just nothing more than a collection of the past 200 years of American iconography. I mean... I love Linda Carter. But I have to say... This is going to be a podcast that's actually hollow at the center until now. Wonder Woman is a character that we all know. She's important to our culture. And yet, for all of her history until now, there's been no single telling of her story that made any kind of... Uh, it didn't grip you. Like, even the TV show that my generation loves, because we were little kids when Linda Carter was on TV and that awesome disco song was the theme... You know, the show was pretty crappy. It was really goofy. They didn't really have a good handle on the character. It was just so unusual for television at the time that we remember it because it was bookended on one end by this new brand of very professional, smart feminism. So you had Mary Tyler Moore and you had the Carol Burnett show and these were wonderful, smart, beautiful women, but they were almost asexual. They were always... Uh, the friend at work. They were the co-worker, right? They were all about the workplace. And then on the other end of 70s television, you had, you know, Three's Company. You had what was actually referred to by the TV critics as Jiggle TV. Because these shows were just so lowbrow and, you know, kind of on the disco end of things. And then in the middle of that, you had Charlie's Angels and Wonder Woman. And uh, probably you could throw in uh, the Bionic Woman there as well. So they combined the satin tights with fighting for your rights. It's right there in the theme song. But if I had to tell somebody, okay, if an alien lands, right, which is what the canon's all about, and I have to explain something to them, how do I explain Wonder Woman? There's nothing I give them. Uh, they're, you know what? I love the character, but I actually don't have that many Wonder Woman comics because there was no single run or, or series of stories that really did the character justice. It's for 80 years been a character in search of a good story. Yes, she is a concept and character that has never, unfortunately, gelled with like a single creative run. Like, there's no Frank Miller Daredevil run for no. Wonder Woman. I mean, Gail Simone, a writer I love very dearly, took the best shot at it. But even then, there's I mean, there's a lot of disagreement about who Wonder Woman even should be. You have writers who focus on the aspect of her as a warrior, as a leader, as a soldier. You have people who focus on her as a diplomat, as a legitimate person who, who goes to the United Nations and sits in on meetings as the representative of Amazon Island, mm. uh, of Themyscira. And she is a bundle, and I, I'm not arguing this against her. I love this about her character. She is a bundle of contradictions. She is a soldier who is seeking nothing but peace. Mm. She is a diplomat who is incredibly skilled at war. Mm -hmm. She is someone who believes fiercely in the power of love, but who doesn't 
have a no-killing code like Batman or Superman. She has no code. If she thinks that the most expedient way to peace is through somebody, she'll go through them. No problem. Yeah. And she does a lot of that in this movie, and I really like that. <laughs> so we'll get to the movie in a second, but I, I definitely want to make it clear to anybody from Generation X listening to the podcast that I personally love the Linda Carter TV show because of its goofiness, but even that show reflected the problems with the character because the very first season, they set it in World War II, because that's the origin of the character, but that it really doesn't work. It's, it's just so sloppy and messy that by season two of Wonder Woman, they've now brought her into the present tense, and suddenly she's doing disco skateboarding, and it's just a god-awful mess. If you go back and actually watch any entire episode, it's kind of a chore. It's... That TV show is just like the 80 years of the character. It's a concept that we love, but the storytelling itself is really kind of unpleasant. People can't figure out what aspects of the character they want to talk about or which versions of the character really appeal to them because she is such a mess of contradictions and different character traits. And, and the, the nadir of this, in my opinion, to bring the millennial generation perspective is there was a failed pilot from famed uh, Boston legal creator David E. Kelly about Wonder Woman in 2011. And it starred uh, Adrian uh, Palicki as the main character. And it's terrible. It's awful. I've not seen it, but you have. I have. I've watched it start to finish. um, And it's awful because it decides that none of the things about Wonder Woman that do work, that are awesome, it it doesn't want to deal with those things. And instead it just (laughs) makes her... It makes her Bruce Wayne. It's really uh, horrifying, actually. Yeah. So she is the CEO of, I, I kid you not, this is real. You can watch this pilot online. Themyscira Industries. Yeah. And everyone knows that Diana Prince is Wonder Woman. She has no, like, secret identity. Okay. She's, like, she's very out in the open. Like, like, I am an ambassador from Paradise Island to Man's World. My name is Diana Prince. I'm the CEO of Themyscira Industries, where they make, like... It's all about merchandising Apps. the Wonder Woman character. There's like, oh. there's a whole, <laughs> That's there's hilarious. a whole scene, like David E. Kelly's attempt at progressive feminism is a scene where Wonder Woman basically deconstructs this Barbie doll they're gonna put out of her, talking about how like its boobs are too big and this costume is ridiculous, oh. and then she dresses up in, I would argue, a more exploitative version of even what you see in the Linda Carter series because it's just so tight it's ridiculous you can't fight in that thing but and this is where it gets really awful she has like a third secret she has like a second secret identity underneath diana prince when she doesn't want to be diana prince she goes home to like this horrible little studio apartment where she can just like watch sitcoms and eat ice cream in her underwear i swear this was a real pilot that they made wonder bridget jones yes wonder wonder woman's bridget jones diary and it's awful it's terrible it (laughs) totally misses what's interesting about the character and even though i said that i do like that wonder woman does not have a no killing code because she is a soldier she murders some dudes in like cold blood in this pilot like there's a bunch of thugs who come up to her with like a pipe wrench or something and you're like oh man she's gonna knock them on their ass she just like punches through the dude's chest and i'm like that is a level of response that was not needed. You could really just like hand, you could just toss those guys aside. But instead, she's just like, boom, and you're like, wait, 
I'm sorry, is this from the Boston Legal Denny Crane guys? Like, what is this? <laughs> it's nonsense. It's awful. It's terrible. And they even give her, like, a Lex Luthor because they're just stealing from Superman and Batman yeah. because they don't think Wonder Woman's a strong enough concept on her own when I would argue narratively she's just as strong, if not stronger, right, than those right. characters. So it's actually impossible to talk about Wonder Woman as a folk hero, as a mythical figure in our culture, without talking about feminism. You can't talk about the problems with the storytelling without talking about politics, is my view. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think one of, the problem, one of the reasons why we have these mismashes and why people are struggling to get a handle on exactly how to portray her is because we have that same problematic debate in our politics, right? Now in your generation, we're, we're into this third wave feminism, it's called... And I was starting to lose hope that anybody would ever get Wonder Woman right because of these outside problems. And to me, it's shocking that a character that is seen as a feminist archetype did not have a woman artist on the run of the comic until 1985. Yep. Right? So this character's been around for 40 years before DC Comics lets a noted female comic artist draw the character. That's outrageous. It is. This movie is really challenging to, to me personally in a good way, in a way that makes me think and advance my views, because I've always held the belief that, like, I, I, I think it's very dangerous to say, well, you know, you can't have a man tell a, 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 a Wonder Woman story. I, I think agree. that's... A little scary, but at the same time, facts is facts. The people who have done Wonder Woman best are women. And, uh, although I also agree with what Samuel is saying here about there should not be a hard and fast line that, you know, only African Americans can tell African American history, or that only guys can do guy stories, or women can do women's stories. That's, we don't believe in that in America. And yet, here in third wave feminism in 2017, we have these kinds of statistics. In the 100 highest grossing movies between 2009 and 2015, guess the percentage that were directed by a woman. Two. Two percent. Four percent. Phew! I wasn't that far off! <laughs> Your Aunt Laura, my sister, uh, guessed one percent. So we still have major problems, although we're moving towards equality. We're nowhere near where... I thought we would be, if you had asked me in 1985, when the first female artist gets to draw Wonder Woman, if, if you had asked me, just graduated Bentley, you know, what the percentage would be on that stat it, between 2009 and 2015, I never would have guessed we'd be in single digits. That's outrageous. Yeah, it's criminal. I'm really trying not to use that word too much. But 4% of the 100 movies top grossing 2009 to 2015. Uh, and if you look at the movies in that same time period that were uh, starred a female character, you've got the Hunger Games movies. Okay, yeah. got that. Got Rogue One, actually. Nice, kick ass. Right, that's at the top of the pile. And guess what else? Animated movies. Yeah. Okay, you've got things like Frozen, okay, and, and uh, Finding Dory. Well, that's pretty offensive, too. Yeah. <laughs> that, that the top grossing movies that we can't let women be women, they're either teenagers or animated, right? They're, they're children, so basically. I know, I know we're still trying to build up to talking about Wonder Woman 2017, but I have to get this point in here where it connects. 
can I just say how happy I am that the older women in this film are allowed to look like older women. Yes. They're not makeup up to where I'm like, what age are they? Like, they're that nebulous age you of bet. older woman. Here, you I was bet. like, that's a woman in her late 40s. That's a woman in her early 50s. Like, yeah. I was like, wow. They let them look like real people. So that's... that brings us to our entry point for this movie, which is, of course, The Princess Bride. Yes. And how great it is that The Princess Bride, from when I was, you know, in high school, early college, now gets to kick major butt as the leading general of the Amazons. Oh, Woo-hoo! she's Titus Andronicus of the Amazons. That's yeah. all I keep thinking. I was yeah. like, that's awesome. This is a soldier who sees the threat, continually warns about the threat, and then takes action against the threat. Robin Wright Pin, baby. Man, it's awesome. It's so cool. So, we're not going to get into spoilers because the movie did just come out. But I need to get this out of the out of <laughs> just out in front. You have never in your life seen action the way Patty Jenkins films action. You've Why? never seen it. Okay, you're going to think, your brain is going to be like, oh, I've seen something like this, like in 300. She uses a bunch of slow-mo shots and close-ups and stuff like that. No, 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 no. 300 is largely, I mean, it's not as kinetic as this is. It's, it's a bunch of guys with shields moving very slowly, yeah. doing very scary things in slow motion, but mostly what they're doing is they're raising and lowering their shields and stabbing out with their spears. And Which that was has, accurate. That's yes. the way they did warfare. And that's totally cool. But Patty Jenkins is doing stuff with the camera. Like There is a shot where a character like dismounts from a horse and in a single motion strings their bow, and it, it's just... it's. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. Okay, so this is where we get to start talking about the feminist themes and the way you would do an action superhero movie that's about a female character directed by a woman that's different from 300 or the Avengers, Yeah. right? So the action that the Amazonians do is very live. It's almost like dancing, right? They're riding horses. There's a lot of motion to it, and it's almost ballet. Yes. Okay, get it, right? I mean, it's using the skills that women have honed and exhibited for generations of human society. And so that makes sense. Well, except for the, the Amazons that are that are built like tanks, like Artemis, who's who has this big hammer and just walks in there and starts wrecking dudes. Yeah, but that's a very slim part of this. You I know, guess. Most of it is uh, this very flowing motion. I think we've got a gigantic new star in Gal Gadot. Oh, totally. Who, you know, is not only kick-ass because she's Israeli, but she also is a martial arts expert. Yeah. Okay, in addition to being a model and an actress, and we have minted a brand new international superstar. Yes, if Hollywood flubs this, it's all on them. It's not on her. She is grade A Hollywood superstar, old money in terms of how classic she is, not that she comes from old money or anything like that, mm-hmm. she is whatever this next generation of Hollywood mega superstar looks like, that's her. She can do it. She's got the social media stuff on lock. Mm-hmm. She gives a great interview. Mm-hmm. She's incredibly funny. She also sticks up for herself. Like She is the ideal star for the 21st century. If, if DC does a face plan on this, like they seem to just can't help themselves these days... It's it's all on them. She has given them gold. Yeah, well, the movie's doing very well. Yes. And I feel the same way having watched her as I did watching uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens and seeing the actress who played Rey. Just, Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley just feeling like, you know what? That movie really doesn't work without Daisy's 
acting chops. Yep. Same thing for Wonder Woman. I mean, for all the problems that have been creaking through this major folk character, right? Gal Gadot really helps them solve 75 years of problems. Yep. Yep, she single-handedly comes in there and just blows the gate wide open. And it is amazing to watch every scene she shares with anyone is overflowing with every character trait that I love about Wonder Woman. The, the mix of she is a soldier, but she has so much compassion. She, yep. has, she bleeds compassion for her fellow man. She is the kind of person who will notice the suffering of animals and the wounded, and her first instinct is to leap in and help every single one of these people. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. And I, it, 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 it is so weird to me that somebody has gotten Wonder Woman, who's very difficult to get right, so right, <laughs> and yet in the same cinematic universe, you have Man of Steel, which doesn't get any of Superman's character traits all right, right. All right, all right, hold on. And I'm going to call foul here, first of all. We're not going to talk about Man of Steel. And there's a second foul. <laughs> Because I was with you last night, and you didn't think this about the movie last night. <laughs> you totally are coming around to what I thought after we saw it. Because I had more time to think about it. I, I Here's the other thing. I love the movie right away. So, last night, I was a little bit more down on it, and here's why. It takes place in World War I, which is a very messy conflict where neither side really has a monopoly on who's right and who's wrong. Both Which sides. is perfect for Wonder Woman okay. coming off of the classic Greek island, Paradise Island, literally, and finding the world just drowning in muck and death. Millions of people being killed, and kudos to the movie for putting some real historical statistics in there. Right At one point, a character is telling her how bad it is, and I liked that because it reflected the way we, as actual IRL humans, reacted to the Great War, right? That there was this Western European culture that uh, was very uh, refined, you know, this a whole Victorian uh, manners and what is a gentleman and what is a lady. You know, by the time you get to the late 19th century, there's a very, very refined, restrained view of civilization and then world war one just blows that all up quite literally so to show her as a character make that same transition that we all had to make in our culture a hundred years ago i thought that was well done well my hang up and i've i've gotten over this now but my <laughs> hang up was i do like her classic origin of world war ii where i do like that she comes out of paradise island and that war isn't as messy, but it's also about different things than World War One is. You know, the the con the forces at play are very different. In World War One, you have two. Uh, it's 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 a it's a political war. It's it's you've broken this treaty, you've broken this treaty. We have this network of alliances that we have to uphold. Meanwhile, World War Two is light, darkness, democracy, fascism, truth, evil. And that seems like the sort of conflict that, that Wonder Woman more has, I guess, a, a place in. But then you run the risk of making it too much like Captain America. And here's where my criticism does stand. Here's where uh, I think you'll find that you and I still disagree. I do think this movie does suffer a tiny bit because of the fact that Joe Johnston's uh, Captain America First Avenger exists. Yeah. And... This movie has, uh, Wonder Woman has a lot going for it. I really do love it. I, I really, these are just nitpicks, people. But the third act of Wonder Woman 
Boy, does that look like the third act of Captain America: The First Avenger. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, I, I'll do. That. I'll grant that. But to me, this was a great solution. Just like this movie is a great solution to seventy-five years of problems with the Wonder Woman character, it's also a great solution of okay, Marvel has all of these movies, and how are we going to now tell yet another origin story that is something different than what we've seen with all these Marvel movies? And putting her in World War One solves that problem. That's true. That's true. Um, so I can't, because I know I can't be, I have to accept and enjoy the World War One setting, because if I'm being intellectually honest, I know I would just, I'd still be upset if it was in World War Two, because then I would be comparing it just to Captain America the First right. Avenger. So, to be intellectually honest, I do like the World War One setting more than if they had done World War Two, yeah. because it just factually that it's just it's too recent captain america is 2011 it's yeah. it's too recent plus putting her in world war 1 allows you to get away from the satin tights yeah yeah <laughs> she's not wearing this ridiculous red white and blue stuff i mean i'm interested in the history of superheroes uh in and how they all get cranked right there on the eve of world war 2 but now that so much time has gone on, that we have so much history that's happened between the invention of Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Captain America, you know, I like the reinterpretations of the characters. That's how they get carried forward. So now that we have kind of some elbow room to yeah. retell these stories, boy, putting her in World War I is just fantastic. And, and here's another way that it helps solve the feminist problems with the character. Putting her in World War One allows them to make a couple of references in this movie to the suffragette movement, mm -hmm. right? I mean, literally at the point in real human history when she comes off the island and into this movie, women in America don't have the vote yet, Yep. right? And, and it's still a fresh issue for a lot of the people in London that she runs into, right? So this idea of what is female empowerment in the 20th century, it, it's in the headlines, literally, on the eve of World War I. Well, let me tell you something. I actually, and I just thought of this, so, so don't jump on me for this. Um, something I just thought of that actually makes me like the World War I setting even more is, for years, DC Comics has had this internal narrative inside their lower C canon, inside their continuity, mm -hmm. both in the movies and in the comics, that Superman's emergence onto the scene is right. what causes, in-universe, the superheroes yeah, yeah, yeah. to begin existing. Right. Like, Batman sometimes predates him, but Batman operates as the Batman in the shadows. He's, yeah. he's yeah. more urban legend than anything. But Superman comes, and all these superheroes come out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. By having Wonder Woman predate both Superman and Batman, that creates a whole new dynamic for their characters. Yeah. And I really want to see that play out in Justice League, where she is absolutely the grizzled veteran. She yeah. is the one who yeah. has suffered and seen war because Batman, Superman, no matter what Batman thinks in his head, Batman's not fighting a war. He's not a soldier. Superman's definitely not a soldier. I am too fighting a war. A war for Gotham. A war for Gotham's soul. You've eaten its wealth, but your feast is almost over. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's another, like, six podcasts. Um, Doesn't really compare with the mud and the blood in Western France. We know. Exactly. We know. And, and I just really want to see, you know, Superman or Batman, Batman make some kind of reference to, like, some hardship they've suffered. And she's just been like, guess what? I've seen dudes getting their legs amputated to get a bullet taken out of it. Like, yeah. like yeah. No, I she's agree. been there. 
Yeah. And, and they and, haven't. And that's how we're introduced to the character in Batman versus Superman. Yes. And they pick up on that at the very beginning of this movie, right? So this movie is told basically like a flashback. So you get that sense that she's been around a long time. She's experienced war and hardship. She's learned things uh, and now is coming back because she probably sees Superman and Batman as worthy teammates. Mm -hmm. So she does lend them some weight. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a fantastic take on the character. And I know it's always risky to be excited by the hype. You know I hate that. But I've been waiting my whole life for a Wonder Woman movie like this. And this character has waited 75 years, and it's fantastic. I think this movie's going to stick in the canon. So, first opening weekend, my father, who hates hype, is saying this is in the capital C hype, canon. Hype, 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 all right, hype, all right. Hype, hype, hype. So, I am not going to throw it into the capital C canon until I have seen it again. I need to see it another well, time. That's true. Um, I have a lot more thoughts now. I mean, I have thoughts as we've been having this podcast. I would really like to see it on home video or once again in the theaters. I, I need more time to digest it before I give it the full capital C canon well, of approval. Of course, of course. The, the proof of the canon is time. Yeah, does it right? last? Does it last? But uh, I, I think it's amazing. I'm really... I've got so many more things to say, but I don't want to give away uh, details of the movie. But yeah. I think it's very clear that this is a movie directed by a woman. Yes. She does a fantastic job. I picked up all kinds of details through there that were very um, trenchant for kind of political and feminist themes that I've uh, lived with. And well, I, I think it's a Grand Slam home run. Well, feminism on film classes are going to spend years dissecting this film. Oh, yeah. In fact, oh, in yeah. fact, I might actually be willing to endorse it into the capital C canon purely because I see exactly where it fits in academia. I see exactly, having taken a lot of those classes, yeah. I know exactly where this is going to be used. This is going to be used in discussions of the male gaze, of how are women shot in the camera versus how men are shot. Mm -hmm. And this is going to enter in the conversation with films like Magic Mike and George of the Jungle about the female gaze, which is so rare in film, mm -hmm. because there's only one shot, one scene in this whole film that feels even the tiniest bit exploitative, and it's of a dude. And you're like... Oh, right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, you're, yeah. And it's, like, I'm certainly not like insecure enough to be offended by that. Like My thing has always been, yeah, no... Men should be just as sexualized as 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 all this other media that exists out there. Like I love um, Nicki Minaj's video for Super Bass, which is her fully clothed, sitting around what is this harem of like greased up, yeah. hairless men. And I'm just yeah. like, wow, yeah, cool. No, they get to do the same thing. Absolutely, and I think at this point, Chris Pine knows that that's his. Career. Oh, dude, Chris is so there. There is there is a scene in this film that I will not spoil for you because it is so good, folks. There is one scene where Chris Pine clearly said, oh, no, I'm doing this movie because of this one scene. <laughs> it's so funny. He gets to just be the goofiest weirdo you've ever seen. And this is how he acts in interviews. As somebody who loves digesting behind-the-scenes stuff, this one scene has his sense of humor that I've seen in the Star Trek behind-the-scenes stuff and uh, his guest spots on Robot Chicken. Like, this mm. is exactly what makes him laugh. And I'm surprised that... There isn't like a shot 
of like just one take where they they just couldn't get him to stop laughing, I bet. I'm sure the outtakes of this film are probably six minutes of him just crying in the backseat of this car trying to get this take. Like, it's so good. Uh, oh, by the way, the supporting cast is awesome. They yeah. fill yeah, yeah, Wonder yeah. Woman with awesome, great supporting character actors. Um... They did miss a hat trick on not including Michael York, Austin. Oh, I well, wish they had included Michael York. It's such a shame, because there's so many places where you could fit an old British white guy, and they just missed it, Austin. And why should they have put him in? Well, because... I don't want to spoil who, because that's like a third act oh, climax yeah, thing. Okay, but right. there is a character... There's a character... A character... A character... Who he has already played in Justice League Unlimited. Aha! Uh -huh. And he did it really well. <laughs> and it was really funny to watch. Because there he is, like, <laughs> interacting. I'll just say interacting with Diana. And he's just like, do you think they're all really like this? These humans? Like, and you're just like, wow, he just cannot get enough. He's just shoving scenery down his throat. Like, <laughs> and I just love Michael York so much. He's so much fun to watch. We'll yeah. have to do a Three Musketeer podcast. Oh point. my god, yes. But we're getting sidetracked. Wonder Woman is awesome. Let me see it again before I give it the full capital C canon stamp, but ah, screw it. It's in the canon. Well, it's in the canon. And, and I'm glad you brought in the, uh, the feminist film classes. Uh, I've actually read a couple of uh, essays from the far, far left, far left of me, who have uh, criticized this movie for not being feminist enough. They've nitpicked little tiny things. Now, having watched the movie, I think those essays are ridiculous. Really, really way, way out of perspective. Hold on, wait, hold on, wait. <laughs> and Here's look looking at you, Jezebel. And listen, we let's just be thankful. They finally got the character right, and now this is going to be probably the biggest opening weekend in terms of dollars for a female director ever. And Chris Pine gets to walk around, you know, with this big wad of cash in his pocket just because he rode the coattails of a fantastic female star and a fantastic female director. Yep. You know what? That's what equality looks like. That is. And I just... Oh, by the way, folks, Jezebel is, is a website. I'm not just calling somebody a Jezebel. Um, yeah, right. No. It... it it's awesome. Go see it. Go see it six times for the sake of equality. Like it's it's absolutely. It's awesome. It's badass. Patty Jenkins is incredible, and we have missed her talents for so long. She Patty Jenkins really took this. Uh, the, the outside named it a hiatus. She says she was only offered commercial work. Um, I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Mm. I, I I, you know, she does Monster, which is an incredible hit. It makes Charlize Theron a star. Mm -hmm. And then she does like nothing until a Netflix series in in uh, 2011 called The Killing. So uh, we hope that this will get her more work. Yeah, right? absolutely. We, and I you hope and this I... gets female directors all over the world more work. Um, it, Kathleen Kennedy, not to cut you off, but Kathleen Kennedy has talked about establishing a farm system for yes. young female directors who yes. make indie pictures for four million dollars, and then she want you know Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm wants them to be able to jump headfirst into an $150 million budget. But here's the thing. You don't need a farm system, Kathleen. Male directors have been doing that for 40 years. Yeah, they, Gareth Edwards, as yes. much as I love Gareth Edwards, he did a very small indie film called Monsters, which grossed a tiny amount at the box office, but just enough that it got him over his budget. You know what his next film was? You know what his next film was? 
It was Godzilla, which had like a $200 million budget. Like, no one worries about these questions unless it's a woman. Right. The, the, the white men have this privilege, and it's time for the women to have this privilege. Yes. So, uh, we're very excited. We hope she gets a lot more work. Go see Wonder Woman! Do, 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 do. And here's to the Sofia Coppola Star Wars movie that's on the way. <laughs> All right, with that, this has been Bentley. And Samuel. And this is the Re... View... Podcast. Podcast.